0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Now, I recently celebrated a birthday. Uh, I know I look 34, but I'm actually 44. And uh, of three children, only one wrote me a card. it's It's the daughter, okay? The daughters, yeah, they're the good ones, right? Okay, so... One of the things that she said in the card was that, um, you know, thank you for this, bringing me rock climbing, doing this for me. And one thing she said was, "Uh, thank you for being my youth leader. Because that's who I am. I get the great privilege of teaching the the youngest group in our youth group, which is from age 11 to you know 13. And uh, we had a few join us uh, beginning this year. And we were looking at Mark. And I, I tried to, you know, make, make them really think about it. And so we were learning the beginning of Mark, you know, as, as we've all been doing, that, you know, Jesus, the king, he's the, the authoritative king, and he's really come. And so to make them think, I, I got them to look at chapter 1, verse 1, where Mark says, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the king. And so I made them think, like, okay, if Jesus is the king, right, and he's really powerful, but we've not been obeying the king, then why is it good news that he has come? Ah, you know, okay, so, like, okay, quite good. I made them think, yeah, Jesus is king. Why is it good news? Well, our passage today gives us a crucial answer to that question. Why it is good news. That Jesus the King has come, even though we have not been obeying the King. So please uh, join me as uh, we ask God to help us hear His Word. Father, we thank you that we have the great privilege of having Your Word being told clearly what You have done in Your Son, sending us the King that we don't deserve, but the King that we need. And please help us to see. Help us to see in a fresh and clear way why his coming is such good news for us. And please help us to hear your word, put it into our hearts, we pray, for your glory and our good. Amen. Okay, so you had the responsive reading, and it was from a passage in Leviticus, because that is important background. The reference in Leviticus is to someone who is unclean. And uh, the Old Testament makes it clear that the unclean person, as you saw down there, he had to stay away from people. And more importantly, he had to stay away from the temple. So this person with the, the leprosy, he's considered unclean. He could not be with his community. And more crucially, he could not go to the temple and worship God. Now, such a person is the one that approaches Jesus in chapter 1, Verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him. Now, once you understand the Old Testament background, that in itself is a shock already. Because the, the man with leprosy is unclean. He should not be coming to Jesus. He should actually be, when he sees anyone, say, unclean, 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 you know, so that people will avoid him. Because if he touches anyone... He would contaminate them. He would make that person unclean. But so we have this uh, shocking scene of someone unclean, someone with leprosy, coming to Jesus, and Jesus, and he begs him, and he says to Jesus, "If you are willing, you can make me clean." Now, every word in that in that request is important. Because the man says, if you are willing, which tells us that he believes that Jesus is able. He knows Jesus is able. He believes Jesus is able, but is Jesus willing? And so his, his, his plea to Jesus is, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He doesn't say you can heal me of this leprosy. This, this, you know, this disease that has ravaged his his hands, his digits, his face. No, no, he actually says you can make me clean. Because it is more than healing that he is after. He wants to be healed for sure, but he also wants to be made clean so that he can be back in his community, so that he can have once again the privilege of going to the temple and worshipping God. He wants to be made clean. And, uh, the way I have given you the, in the outline, is I have chosen, uh, choice words from Jesus as the, as the point. And so in this passage, the key thing is that Jesus says, I am willing. Be clean. Now the amazing thing is that Jesus doesn't just make the man clean, doesn't just heal him by saying these words. He reached out his hand and touched the unclean person. Now, if any one of us did that, we would become unclean. But Jesus, because of who he is, he could have just healed him by saying, be clean but as an act of mercy, as an act of compassion, to really say, I am the one who, who has the authority, the power to truly cleanse you and I can touch you and I do not become unclean, but you become clean. And indeed, that is what happened to the man. He becomes clean, he is healed, he once again is able to be part of his community, he once again is able to go to the temple and worship God. And so that's the instruction that uh, Jesus gives him. You know, the Old Testament instruction is once you have been healed, you got to get it, uh, you know, double stamp, chopped by the priest, lah, you know, to confirm it. But the man, instead of doing that, instead of listening to Jesus, you can understand, right, in his excitement, in his joy, I mean, he, he hasn't seen his family for years, he hasn't had, you know, uh, his favorite uh, hummus you know for years and so he goes and he tells everyone look look i'm now clean you know i've, I've, I've been made clean by jesus uh, but the result of that is you see in verse 45 jesus could no longer freely enter a town because now there's all this excitement about the jesus who can heal who can make people clean and so it has impeded jesus's movement and so Jesus has to stay outside in lonely places. And so here we have the, the first episode, this first uh, scene. And very clearly we are told of Jesus' authority to make people clean, to restore them to community, to restore them to worship of God. Now the second story is of how Jesus heals a paralyzed man. And uh, once again, I've chosen the, the choice words to put there in the outline. To know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Now, I was listening to a sermon by Philip Jensen on this passage, and he, he made an interesting point. He said, you know, there are people who are skeptical about the accuracy of the gospel accounts because they have some knowledge and they know that, you know, when Mark wrote this, he wrote it, you know, several decades, you know, 20, 30 years after it happened. And so the skeptics, they are, hey, you know, 20, 30 years. Come on, la. you know, how can anyone remember what happened, you know, 30 years ago? How can you expect me to believe that this is accurate, right? I'm sure it's been embellished with all sorts of, you know, things that Mark wants us to, 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 to imagine about Jesus. But Philip Jensen made a point, well, you look at this account. I mean, if you were there, and you saw what happened, you could not forget it. I mean, like, for, for example, just last night, we had uh, my mom's side uh, reunion dinner, and there was a lohe, okay, so it was lohe, so at my table, I was having a lohe with my dad, and all of a sudden, I remembered my grandfather, so I'm like 44 now, right? So 30 years ago, I would be 14, right? And I remember when I was at that age, whenever my grandfather, low He, he would, you know, Lo, lo hey, right? Lo lohei low He, he would Lo He three times, and then he would take the food, really. You know, like, I mean, everyone else is still trying to mix it up, right? So that that memory came back to me and I said, hey, Dad, remember? You know, yeah, yeah. He would just toss, you know, two, three times, and then he would start eating, really. I mean, like, something trivial like that. And I can still remember. But now we are talking about this. What happened in Capernaum, what happened when Jesus was there, you know, teaching in this home, and then you got these four friends carrying their paralyzed friend, and they come, and obviously they are coming to Jesus because they have heard that he can heal, and there's a great chance that they can, he- that Jesus can heal their paralyzed friend, and so they come, and then, because there's so many people Hearing Jesus teach, they, they can't get through the front door. But houses in those days, they got a side staircase onto a flat roof. Now, I always like to tell people it's a flat roof, not a pitch roof. Because if it's a pitch roof, then it will be one paralyzed man and four guys with their sprained back. Okay, but it's not. It's It's flat. And so, if you were there, and then you know the the, the clumps of mud start falling, and then you know, there's this this uh, hole in the in the roof, and then you know, the, the mat starts being lowered, and then Philip Jensen say, as he imagines it, he'll be as they lower him, you know, are they lowering him at the right pace? Because if two people lower too fast, uh well then you know it's a paralyzed man with big headache or so. Um, and so, if you were there. Such an incident, such a scene you would remember for life. And especially what Jesus said, as a paralyzed man is lowered, clearly the people, clearly uh, that the person himself, they are doing all this because he wants to be healed. But Jesus says instead, verse 5, when he saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. And at this point, if you were there, you'd be going, "Eh? "Hey, why say that? I thought, you know, clearly the man's deepest need is for his legs to be healed so that he can once again run and play with his children. Like, why not address his deepest need? But Jesus is here showing that our deepest need is not something physical uh, disease that we have, a financial problem or mental issues. Our, our deepest need, our greatest problem, is our sin, our rebellion against that true and living God who has made us not living his way, rejecting him and wanting To be God in his place. Our our deepest need is that we have sinned against a holy God. A holy and just God who must exact justice. And so our deepest need is for our sins to be forgiven. And so Jesus cuts right through to this man's greatest need. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now notice what he says. And what he doesn't say, he does not say. Son, I believe God has forgiven your sins. He doesn't say that. He says it in an absolute manner. Son, your sins are forgiven. And so the clear implication of that is not lost on the teachers of the law who are sitting there. And verse six, uh, Mark tells us that, that, that they're there and they're thinking, eh. Hey, Verse 7, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? I mean, I'm thinking, hey, Jesus, so far we've enjoyed your teaching. I mean, you've taken us through, you know, Leviticus, and I mean, like, well, that's really helpful, you know. But, but who are you? Who the heck do you think you are to to declare that this man's sins against God can be forgiven? I mean, Only God can forgive sins. I mean, you understand that, right? Like if someone hurts you, you know, like scratches your car or smashes your car, I cannot go up to him and say, hey, you're forgiven. No, you are the one that has to offer that forgiveness because it's your car, your phone that got damaged. And so if our sin is against God, if our rebellion is against Him, then only God can forgive sins so the teachers of the law are very right when they say that so jesus wants to help them and so in verse 8 jesus knows what they're thinking and he poses them the question why are you thinking these things verse 9 which is easier to say to this paralyzed man your sins are forgiven or to say get up take your mat and walk Okay, so you know people always get a bit confused by this question, and uh, the thing to be to to be clear about these two questions is to think about what's the difference between these two things. Okay, to say your sins are forgiven versus get up, take your mat to a paralyzed man. Okay, what's the difference between the two? Now, one difference is that if a person can actually accomplish these things, one can be seen while the other is not visible. Right? So obviously the paralyzed man getting up, right? that's something that's visible, is something that can be seen. Okay, So that's the first thing to take note about what Jesus says here. The second thing to take note is that both of these things, if the person is able to truly accomplish them, shows that this person is on another level. Okay, if a person can actually accomplish the forgiveness of sins, and if a person can actually accomplish a paralyzed man getting up, being healed immediately, okay, these, both of these things belong to uh, the, someone who can do them, and this someone must be on an entirely different level. Okay? Okay, now one more thing to say, one more thing to say. Okay, the third thing to say about these two things is that Which one do you think is harder? If a person could accomplish both, I think we can agree that the forgiving of people's sins, that's actually harder than simply healing someone. Okay. But both these things, as I said, belong to someone who can do them. He's on another level. Okay. So Jesus poses them the question and like these three things is supposed to go through our minds. One can be seen. These things belong to a different level if the person can do them, and the forgiveness of sins. Yes, it is harder than the other one. And so Jesus poses them the question, and then he says, verse, uh, verse, why is he saying verse ten? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, your mat, and go home. And the man got up. The man got up. Okay, So the man got up means Jesus was able to heal the man. And why did Jesus choose to heal the man? Because Jesus did the thing that could be seen. He did the thing that could be seen to help people understand that he can also do the thing that cannot be seen, which is to forgive our sins against God. Because both of these things, if you can do them, you belong to another level. And Jesus is on that other level. He is God come in the flesh. That's why he can heal the man. And that's why he can forgive our sins. And everyone there is amazed. And as I said, if you were there 30 years, 60 years, you would not forget something like this. And so this brings us to the third episode that Mark, Records for us here, and uh, it describes Jesus with a large crowd, and he's uh, once again teaching them. And of the large crowd, he sees Levi. You know Levi. You know, he used to make jeans. It's quite quite uh, you know very innovative person. Uh, but before he made jeans, he was a tax collector. And we need to understand. Um, what being a tax collector meant in those days? Okay, So I think one of the most helpful ways of thinking about it is if we were in Singapore and it was during the Japanese occupation and a fellow Singaporean defect over to the other side, you know, that sort of traitor, and is helping the Japanese collect money from his fellow Singaporeans. I mean, this sort of scum, right? I mean, okay, that's the that's the way people felt about the tax collector. Because he is collecting money from his own people to give to the Romans. And he will always collect more so that, you know, he gets wealthy and, you know, that's why you can start a jeans business. So anyway, Levi, the tax collector, he's there. Okay, and you need to understand he is a despised person. He is an outcast. Everyone thinks he is scum. And so it is amazing. It is amazing that of the crowd, of the crowd that's there, I mean, you would have people who, you know, mothers working hard, carpenters who's trying to do an honest business, you know, fishermen who, you know, who try and fish, you know, with, so that with, with uh, sustainability in mind, this and that. And then, and then of that whole crowd, Jesus goes to the tax collector, Levi, and says, follow me. He is calling levi the tax collector the despised scum to be one of his disciples it is amazing and levi gets up and levi he can't believe what's happening And he gets to be one of jesus disciples he follows jesus and more than that he throws a dinner party at his house he wants to celebrate that, hey, hey, of all the people that Jesus could have chosen, he's chosen me, you know, I, I thought I was beyond hope, but he's chosen me, I get to follow Jesus, and so he throws a dinner party, and obviously, if you are scum of the earth, if you're a tax collector, the only friends who will come to your house, the only friends who will accept your invitation to, to your place would be other scum, other tax collectors and sinners, uh, as Mark tells us, sinners here is uh, sinners with the, you know, the, the open inverted commas because everyone obviously is a sinner. Everyone obviously has sinned against God. Every one of us, we have not lived the way we should. We have opposed God. We've rebelled against God. But this this sinners. The Jews used it for the people who are especially bad, you know, the prostitutes, the people who, who are ritually unclean, they, they never go to the temple, they never do all the, all the sacrifices. I mean, the sinners, you know, the really bad people. And so, Levi, because he's also an outcast, the only friends that will come to his place are these bunch of people. And you imagine, uh, in those, those days they would have uh, a dinner in a courtyard, and the gate would be open. I mean, I'm sure Levi would make the gate open because he wants people to say, "Hey, guys, see who's sitting at the head of my table. Who's my guest of honor? Is Jesus, man? Is Jesus?" I mean, he would want people to see that. And indeed, people do. People walk past and go, "Hey, wow. you know, <laughs> Jesus is eating with them." And uh, we are told about the Pharisees. The teachers of the law who are Pharisees, I mean these people who are like the uptight one, right? Okay. Every rule, every law they keep, speak and spend, And they walk by and they see What? Jesus is there with Levi <laughs> And, and you know, like, the, the tax collectors and the sinners are there and Jesus is having meal fellowship with, with, I mean, like dipping his bread into the same bowl of hummus. You know, that, that those scum have also dipped their bread in and he's eating it. I mean, they are like, okay, because they thought he was and you know up and coming you know wow you know uh, leave you know rabbi you know shaking the, the world you know what want to respect him wow i know he's, he's maybe going to be a great rabbi. but what is he doing here eating with tax collectors and sinners and so the pharisees you know like, no way right no way they would ever step across the threshold and make themselves unclean. Because, you know, they step into a tax collector's house. No way. No way. Okay? What I imagine happened is they paid a young boy some money and said, okay, go and call that guy and ask him to come to me. So they would stand at a safe distance, you know, further than what you should stand away from a microwave because, you know, microwave was so dangerous. So they stand at a safe distance and then they call the boy and the boy called, you know, one of the disciples to come And when the disciples come, they ask the question, hey, why? Why? Why is your rabbi, why is your master, why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? What is he doing defiling himself? His, His rabbi career is over. Doesn't he understand that? And so Jesus, he hears this and he understands what they're thinking. He says verse 17. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I mean, some of us, when we are healthy, we do see the doctor, because like, we just want to get the MC, okay? Emergency, okay, okay. But that's okay. Uh, that aside, right? I mean, nobody, when you're healthy, you seek out the doctor. It is only when you know that you are sick. And the doctor, right, the doctor, if a person who has chosen to become a doctor, he has chosen, he knows in his mind, he has chosen a life where he would be in his working hours surrounded with sick people. I mean, that's what he's chosen. I mean, as a doctor, he knows this is what I've come. I haven't come to mix with a healthy, I mean, I haven't, I haven't, if, I, if you want to see healthy people, If you want to mix with healthy people, then don't be a doctor, right? Don't be a doctor. Only the sick know they need a doctor, and only the sick go to the doctor. And then Jesus here gives us his purpose statement. We've seen one in chapter 1. I have come to teach. Here he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I came, Jesus is saying, I came, I came for sinners. I have not come for the righteous, those who are righteous. And when he says righteous here, he doesn't mean that there might actually be some people who are genuinely, truly righteous. No, he's talking about the people who think they are righteous, the people who, if you like, Think they are healthy, and you understand that right? That there could be people, there could be some of us here who we think we are healthy. Like I thought I was quite healthy. You would think I'm healthy, but when I went to get my blood test a few weeks ago, my LDL is high. Okay, so I'm not as healthy as you think. Okay, and I and I am not as healthy as I think. But you can understand right? There are people who think that they're healthy, but there could be some cancer. Right, eating up their organs at the moment. Right, So Jesus is talking about the people who think that they are righteous, but actually still have that disease of sin, who think that they are healthy, not realizing that they are sinners, and therefore will not go to the doctor. So Jesus says, I have come. I have come. My mission is to call sinners. He has come to call sinners. So friends, do you, see that all three episodes that Mark has put here for us he has deliberately put them together because they belong together we saw in the middle episode where Jesus established okay I want you to know what I'm doing, I want you to know that I have the authority on earth to forgive sins now if that is true If Jesus indeed had authority to forgive sins, but if he was not willing, if he had authority, if he had the ability, he had the power, but if he was not willing, then he would not have come. But the first verse, the first episode shows us the the, the leper asking, if you are willing, and Jesus says, I am willing, I am willing. I am willing, I am willing, and he has the authority, he has the authority, and he is willing, he has come, he has come with authority to forgive sins. He has come with authority to restore people back to God, back to their community. He has come with authority, and he has come with a willingness. That's why he can say, verse 17, I have come. I have come because he is both willing and has the authority, and that's why he has come, and he has come to call sinners. And the question is, how? How? How is he going to call sinners? How is he going to forgive sins? Well, obviously, the rest of Mark will explain and give us the answer to that. But but even from our first passage, in the healing of the leper, we have some glimpse. Some glimpse of what Jesus does, how he cleanses and how he forgives sins, why he is able to call sinners. Remember the, the, the leper. The leper we read from the Old Testament. The leper is supposed to wear uncamped clothes. You know, his hair must be messy. He must unclean, unclean. He must avoid community. He must avoid people. He has to stay outside the camp. He's got to live alone. That's the life of the leper. And Jesus heals him. And he goes now into Orchard Road CBD. He's proclaiming. He's telling everyone, right? That's what happened to the ex-leper. What happened to Jesus? Jesus now, because of that publicity, now we see he is, he could not openly enter a town but stay outside in lonely places. Just that snapshot, the leper who once had to stay in the desolate place. Now he's in town, he's with people, he's talking to people, he's sharing the news of what happened to him. But Jesus, Jesus has now taken his place. Now Jesus is confined to the lonely places. There's this, if you like, this picture of the exchanging of places. And it is a glimpse, just a glimpse of how Jesus comes and in his coming is able to cleanse, able to forgive sins because he takes Our place, the punishment that we deserve, the wrath of God that shall have fallen on us because of our rebellion. Jesus has been our substitute. He's been our sin-bearing, wrath-taking substitute. And because he has done that, taken the punishment that we deserve, died the death that we deserve, he can cleanse us. He can say you are clean. Now you can worship God. Now you can go to God. Now you can be part of God's people. Now your sins are forgiven. Because he has come. He has come. He's come. Because he's willing. He's willing to do what needs to be done. It's a power to do it. Because he's taken our place. He can declare us clean. He can forgive us our sins. So clearly, the response for us, I think, is quite clear. Now, if you are someone here and you are investigating Jesus, you are thinking about this person, this man, and now you hear clearly this offer that he gives. He can make you clean. He can forgive your sins. The response is to trust Him, is to acknowledge Him as your King, acknowledge that He and only He has come to deal with your deepest need. You may think your deepest need is relationship or financial or something else, but your deepest need is that that alienation between you and the God who has made you. And so now we have this offer from Jesus and he's helping us see that he has authority and he's willing to do these things. Will you come to him for that forgiveness of sins? Will you come to him to make you clean? Please don't delay in your thinking about these things. Now, more of us, I imagine, are people who have already come to Jesus. We have accepted his offer of forgiveness. And thinking about the passage this week, the the challenge I want to pose to us is when we see the the third scene of Jesus dining with the tax collectors and sinners and then the Pharisees, in that scene, where do you imagine yourself? Are you... One of the tax collectors, one of the sinners having relationship with you. Are you like, are you like one of those people and you know in your mind and your heart that you are scum, that you are, that you know, you are an outcast, you are unclean, you are defiled, there is nothing in you that merits fellowship with God, you are unclean and and you picture yourself in in your mind that you are one of the tax collectors there. Or do you more picture yourself as one of the Pharisees? And in your mind, you have kept the rules, you've done the right thing, you have not allowed yourself to be defiled by practices or people. And so in that scene, you are more standing with the Pharisees. When we studied this passage at Bible study, one of the guys said, I mean, it suddenly hit him that he has actually been acting as a Pharisee. And he said because when he goes for his JC reunion, there would be some people that he, in his mind, he would never imagine them becoming Christian. And in that sense, he is standing as a Pharisee and looking at those people Those JC friends of his as the tax collectors and the sinners who do not belong, who are unclean and who should be outside. Now we, sometimes because we journey in the, you know, in the church, in the Christian faith for very long, we can sometimes forget that the way, the right way we should picture ourselves in this scene is as that tax collector, as the sinner who know that we have done nothing. And yet, by grace, Jesus is having fellowship with us. Now, the Chinese New Year period is coming soon. And, you know, every one of us will be having, you know, one big dinner after another. And there will be some people when you have those dinners, some people that in your mind you imagine those people could never Come to Jesus. Well, Levi wants to have a word with you. Because Levi is, he would have been considered by everyone around him. This guy could never. But one day, of that multitude, Jesus sees him, goes to him, and calls him. Friends, if you are Christian, this is what has happened to you. That of the multitude on this earth, Jesus saw you. The day that you came to him is because he came to you and he called you. And because he called you, we were able to respond, we were able to get up, we were able to follow him, we were able to respond to him and have relationship with him. And if Jesus can do that to you, he can do that to anyone. So don't be a Pharisee. This Jesus, who is willing and authoritative, He has come and He has come and He has come, He has come and He's come to call sinners. Praise God. Please use this Chinese New Year period, be one of those who are willing to associate yourself with sinners, because Jesus came and He's come to call sinners. May God help us.